0: Before that do turn with me to John 13. It's where we left off last time. John 13, I'll begin reading at verse 12 down to verse 20. We're really breaking in halfway through a single event. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, much to their shock, especially Simon Peter, who at first protests and then relents. We pick up in verse 12. And so when he, that is Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I sent receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Lord, this is your word. Now let it have its effect on us. Grip our minds and hearts, just as we've been singing, as we've been thinking, that we would see Christ Remove from us all these distractions, especially the ones in our own minds, our distracting thoughts, our thoughts of self, our thoughts of what's coming this afternoon, our thoughts of the things that have been troubling us. All of these things, Lord, Spirit, thrust aside, present Christ before our eyes that we may see Him, that we may believe Him, and that by Your grace we may walk with Him. In Your name we pray. Amen. And so thinking back to last week, why did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? Clearly it wasn't just because they were dirty. Jesus had a point. What was His point? According to John's Gospel, there were in fact two points here. We looked at the first last week. First of all, Jesus did this to demonstrate the depths of His love and humility in becoming our Savior. The whole scene begins in verse 1 when it says, "...having loved His own who are in the world, He loved them to the end, to to the uttermost." But second, we also see that Jesus did this to demonstrate by example how we who follow Him must live our lives as servants like Him. Verse 15 makes that clear, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. And it's the second one that we want to look at more closely this morning. How how we must be servants like Him. Are you a servant? Is that how people see you? when they think of you. Is that what your family would say if we went to your house and asked them, is so and so a servant? Is a humble Christ-like servanthood so written into your spiritual DNA that that people regularly see Jesus in you? Let's talk about that this morning, beginning with this question that Jesus asks at the end of verse 12, do you understand what I have done for you? So there's the first thing. There's an understanding that we need. We must understand not only what Jesus has done, but as we read further, we must understand who Jesus is and what He has called us to do and be as we follow Him. Let me read it again. Verse 12, Having washed their feet and put His garments back on, He got back to His place at the head of the table and said, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. So so a couple of simple questions here. Who is Jesus, and what has He called us to do? How do we answer these? First, who is Jesus? according to this passage. Well, it says He's the teacher and He's the Lord in the context who humbled Himself to wash the disciples' feet. And what has He called us to? To follow His example in serving others just as He has served us. So there's the big picture we're working with this morning. Follow Jesus in serving others. Okay, let's look at it in a little more detail. First of all, Notice that we must begin by understanding who Jesus is. None of this will make sense if we don't start there. You know, some random guy comes in off the street and does something for you and says, Now follow me. Who cares? But Jesus is no random guy. Who is he? Oh, he's your teacher, and he's your Lord who saves. Right? I mean, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you've been saved, if you follow Him, this is who He is to you now. He is your teacher. That means He's the one you look to and learn from. He's the one that you look to for how you ought to live your life and you learn what your attitude must be and how it is you go about treating others. In that culture, they would often call Him Rabbi, which means the same thing. It's a term of respect, but it's also a functional term. This is the one I'm looking to, following, and learning from. He is your teacher, and if you're a believer, He is your Lord. But that means that He is the one that you now obey. Because He's the Master and your servant. John 14 verse 15, Jesus says, If you love Me, you will obey what I command. You will do it because you'll want to. Because that's now stamped into your spiritual DNA. This is who you are. This is what you want to be. This this is the reality of love God puts in our hearts when we are saved by grace. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27, And I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. So again, who is Jesus to us in this room? We belong to Jesus. He is our teacher and he is our Lord. And, And look how he owns that in verse 13. This isn't just what others are saying about him. He's saying it about himself. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right. For so I am. You haven't misunderstood, Jesus says to them. This is my identity, and you are right to think of me in these terms. That is right, right? As we think about Him. And our lives will only go right when we see Jesus in this way as our teacher from whom we must learn and as our Lord whom we must obey. Is that how you see Him? Are you learning from Him or being led by Him? One of the great heresies of modern evangelicalism has been this idea you can have Jesus as a Savior without having Him as Lord or Teacher that you can just sort of look at Him and say, save me and then go on about your merry way. But the ones He saves, He reigns over as Lord and He teaches. Or we'll just say He's Teacher and we learn some stuff and apply it on our own, which again is not the idea. (laughs) We come to Him for who He is, Lord and Teacher who saves us. Second thing we see in this then is knowing who He is, we must understand the life He is calling us to pursue. Verse 14, If I then, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Again, who is Jesus? We must always go back to that. Well, He's our Lord and He's our Teacher. Our Lord and our Teacher. Now those are, those are pretty exalted titles. They put Him way up here. And us, way down there. Do you see that? And so just looking at those titles, you would think that, well, he never has to get his hands dirty. After all, he's Lord. He's got servants. He's always sitting at the head of the class as teacher. And so he's the one in charge. He's the one calling the shots. I mean, I want to be like that. But then you notice that is exactly what makes his point about who we truly need to be because he says, if I, who should never have to get my hands dirty, just got my hands dirty serving you, think of those filthy feet he was washing, and if the teacher just knelt at the feet of the pupils to serve them like this, then how much more willing ought you to be to get your hands dirty and to kneel at the feet of others as you serve them? If the high and exalted one cast aside his pride and left his rightful position to humble himself and serve us who are beneath him, oh, so far beneath him, how much more willing ought we to be to kneel and serve one another? In fact, look at the word ought there in verse 14. Uh, You also ought to wash one another's feet that's a much stronger word than just reading the English might lead you to think. The English word ought can sound like a suggestion. Um, you know, you ought to do this. Um, I, always call Mr. I always call Aaron Mr. Ought, you oughta? If you know Aaron, he's got great ideas and he'll say, you ought to do such and such. But coming from the mouth of Aaron is a suggestion. You know, it would be a good idea if you would do this. But this word doesn't mean this would be a good idea. This is a word that carries the idea of obligation, not suggestion. It's not saying this is something you should do. It'd be nice if you would do. It's saying this is something you must do as a Christian. It is, in fact, a financial term. It means that you owe this. That you are obligated to it. That just as surely as you owe the bank your mortgage payment and therefore must pay it, so as a Christian, you owe this kind of service to the people around you and in Christ's name must provide it. Now, that puts a whole new spin on things, doesn't it? Uh, To know that Jesus isn't just telling you to be nice and to do a service project from time to time. He's telling you to follow Him in a lifestyle of sacrificial service to the people around you. As you follow Him, Matthew, uh, Mark, I'm sorry, 1045, For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And and, and dear one, that's the one we follow. To give your life as a ransom for many. Well, we can't do that part. That's Him. But the serving part. Are you? Here's a good question this morning. Have you washed any feet lately? Have you humbled yourself to serve those that He has put around you? Husbands, husbands, How are you washing your wife's feet? Does she even know it? Is she aware her feet have been washed by one who loves her enough to serve her in this way? Wives, your husband, your children, children, your siblings. Hey, we could spend some time on that one, couldn't we? How about the people you work with? Especially the ones you don't like. Especially the ones that that, that really get on your nerves. Or maybe the people here at church, especially those that you don't just automatically click with. Here's the question we ought to ask: Am I? Who am I being called to serve? How am I being called to serve? How may I? Wa- I'm sitting here talking to this person, and I should be asking myself: How can I wash these feet that are here before me? Did you see, this is more than just the golden rule. The golden rule is wonderful, it's powerful. We're commanded of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But but this is beyond that. This is do to them what Christ would do for them. Treat them as Christ would treat them. Why? Because this is the Jesus thing to do. It's what He's called you to take up, oh dear one, as a lifestyle. His words in verse 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you this is this is what it means to follow Jesus or at least a really big part of it. Now I want to be clear, we are not saved by following Jesus in service. But we who are saved will follow Jesus in service. We are not saved by following his example, but we who are the saved will indeed follow his Example. We follow Him serving others as He has served us. And by the way, notice that word example there in verse 15. It's a word that means a pattern to be followed. That there's a pattern to be followed. Uh, We follow the lifestyle pattern of Jesus. We look to see um, what He did in serving others and we do the same. So how did He treat the low? The prostitute and the leper. The broken and the hurting. The sin-stained and the prodigal. Or even Judas. Remember, he's still there. He just got his feet washed too. Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him, and yet with love and grace and kindness, he stoops to wash even his feet. So how do we treat those who are our enemies in this cultural battlefield we seem to live in today? How about that gay man that you know down the street or at work who wears the rainbow t-shirt and is rather pushy with it? Have you served him? Have you shown a Christ-like love for him? It doesn't mean you agree with him or affirm uh, things that he, that he believes that are clearly unbiblical, but it means that you love him as a fellow human being made in God's image. What about that transgender person you're having to deal with that, that he keeps demanding that you use this or that pronoun? And it just drives you nuts. But how have you served this person as a fellow human being made in God's image whom he's put there for you to be like Jesus before? It doesn't mean you don't speak the truth in love, but it means... Ask this question. Or that liberal person whose whose viewpoint just drives you nutty. How have you washed this person's feet? Clearly, this whole scene made a really big impression on Peter because writing years later to Christians who were in fact undergoing persecution for their faith, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2 verse 21. He says, For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Meaning, he continues in verse 23, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. Again, we have the image of the suffering servant who loved them even to death. Peter uses a slightly different word than Jesus had used. And the word Peter uses pictures a grammar teacher, an English teacher we would say, uh, writing words on the board for her students to copy down into their notebooks. And the students sit there and she writes them on the board and they, they carefully copy exactly what she wrote down into their book. And it's like Peter is saying to us, Jesus wrote the book on a lifestyle of suffering and serving, and it's our job to copy down what He wrote into the book of our lives. To become like Him in our willingness to suffer and to serve. 1 John 1 First uh, John 4:11 says, "Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another," which I think here we might paraphrase, "Beloved, if Christ so served us, we also ought to serve one another." Again, I ask the question, "Whose feet did you wash this week? Which brings us to this next thing. This means, here's the second thing, we must follow Him in serving others as a redeemed lifestyle. Verse 16 and 17. Now, when Jesus says here, I have given you an example, some have taken that word example uh, to, to mean that foot washing ought to be an ordinance like baptism or the Lord's Supper. Something that we do symbolically as a ritual from time to time. Many free will Baptists practice a ritual foot washing. I attended a free will Baptist for a while before I was converted and and I participated in such a foot washing ceremony. Uh, The Pope and other Catholic officials will go out and wash some poor beggars' feet uh, once a year on Monday, Thursday, usually, again as a kind of ritual. But the, the language that Jesus uses here doesn't mean participate in an occasional ritual. It means adopt this as your lifestyle. Look at your teacher and Lord to see how willingly he served and suffered for others, and you go do the same. As Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 5, have this mindset in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. We, dear church, must become a community of Christ-like servants. So, look how he says that here in verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, truly, truly, ah, ah," right? Some of you knew I was getting ready to do that. Kids especially, because I want them to remember every time you see Jesus say truly, truly, what is He calling you to do? Look closely, pay attention, get your ears ready, because what He's going to say next is very, very important and He doesn't want you to miss it. Verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So here's the question. Do you think you're better than Jesus? Do you feel like maybe in some way you're a little more important than He is? I think the obvious answer we would all scream, right, is no way. So if He is not too high to stoop and serve even His betrayer, who exactly is it that you won't serve? Who is too far beneath you? see what he's saying here? If the Son of God came into this world not to be served, but to serve, how much more willing must we be? And so again, just as you have to have a right view of Jesus, second, you've got to have a right view of yourself in relationship to Jesus to understand and apply this. We start with who Jesus is to understand who we are. Do you understand, Christian, one of the most deceptive aspects of sin is the way it corrupts how we view ourselves. Because of sin, we all tend to put ourselves first and think better of ourselves than we really ought to. Given half a chance, we will make anything about us. Amen? Because the human heart loves to be pampered and praised and pitied. And we ought to approach it in different ways. Some will approach this by saying, Oh, I'm so terrible, no one should love me. You're still making it about you. Others will say, I'm so wonderful, everyone should applaud me. You're making it about you. But either way, we land in the same place. What we're saying to the world is, Hey, pay attention to me. Hey, give me what I want. Hey, make me happy. And that natural, inborn attitude of sin short-circuits all Christ-like servanthood. Right? You've been there? And so here's what Jesus is saying. Listen closely. Get over yourself. He's saying, get over yourself. Stop looking at you and what you think you are and start looking at Jesus and seeing yourself in relationship to Him. That's the only way you're going to have a clear view of who you are and what you're called to be. And so we start with Jesus and we let Him save. Right. So let's make sure I'm not being misunderstood. I'm not saying become a servant and do all these things so that Jesus will love you and save you. I'm saying if you are His saved by grace alone through faith in Christ, then this is the life that salvation has called you into. So, so look to Jesus, let Him save you by grace alone, and then let Him show you who you are in relationship to Him. Notice how He does that here in verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you. Notice, Christian, he is speaking to you here and to me. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So so notice what he calls us here. Think about what I just read. In this statement Jesus just made, are you the master or are you the servant? Are you the errand boy or girl sent out on a mission? Or are you the authority who does the sending? Who's in charge here? Back in verse 14, are you the teacher at the head of the class? Or are you the student being taught by the teacher? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying keep that relationship in mind. You're not the king, you're the servant. You're not, the, you're not the master, you're the slave. That's actually the word used here. It's the word doulos. You're the slave, I'm the master. You're the student, I'm the teacher. You're the errand boy or girl. I send out on a mission. I'm the authority who sends you. So get your eyes off of you and put them on me. And as you put your eyes on me, what are you going to see? You're going to see Him kneeling down and humbly serving the people around Him. And so Jesus says, if, if you're truly following Me and learning from Me and obeying Me, get a basin and towel out of the closet and start scrubbing feet. Because that's the lifestyle that you've been called to in following Christ. That is your identity. This is how we look at ourselves, not as lords who deserve to be served, but as servants who serve others. And, and you know What? I really do think every true Christian understands that. I think I've been screaming and yelling up here about things you already know deep down in your heart. We know following Jesus means serving others. But here's the problem. We tend to know that as a doctrine to confess, something we affirm as being true, but not so much a lifestyle we pursue. But look what he says next. Verse 17, knowing this truth is not enough. You must live this truth to experience its blessing. Verse 17, if you know these things, great, basically. But blessed are you if you do them. And the way this sentence is put together, it does two things. First of all, it assumes the truth of that first statement. It assumes that you as a Christian know these things about the call to be a servant. But, chapter, verse two, or, 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 the, the second part tells us that this blessing comes not from just knowing these things, but from actually doing them. We understand knowing is not enough. Confessing the truth that Christians ought to serve like Jesus is not enough. It's not enough to look at Jesus with admiration and love and say, Oh, what a servant He is! Or even to agree with the general statement, All Christians must follow Jesus in serving others. If it stops with that statement, that's pretty worthless. Now, these words must not only be admired, they must be applied. The blessing comes from Doing this truth. I mean, do do, do you see that? And so here's what we're saying the knowledge of who Christ is and who we are in Christ must lead us into a life of Christ like serving others. Without the doing, you have no share in the blessing being promised here. And isn't that exactly what James says? If you remember James, James chapter 1, verse 22. James says to us, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, but he sees the truth there. For he looks at himself, but then he goes away and forgets what he was like. He doesn't actually apply it. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The blessing, the joy, the benefit of knowing and walking with Jesus comes as we apply what we know about Jesus into our daily living. In fact, look at that word blessed. Both James and John use the same word here. But there are actually two different words for blessed or blessing in the New Testament. The, the first one not used here is the word eulogia, which means to bless with words, good words, quite literally, to say good things, to praise, in other words. Bless the Lord with me, oh my soul. That's that word, speak good words. The other word blessed, the one we find here, is the word makarios. This word speaks of a state of being blessed. You enter into the place where blessing is being poured out, where blessing is experienced. And and usually what this word means is that the heavenly blessing promised by God in eternity begins to draw near and enter your life here and now as God Himself draws near to uphold and strengthen you here and now. For example, all those blessings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are this kind of uh, heavenly blessing invading your life now. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are blessed now because the reality of God's gracious presence has taken hold of them in their poverty of spirit. So that despite whatever earthly sorrows and loss they are facing, they get to experience something of the heavenly hope and eternal happiness. Another way to to, to translate this word makarios. The the eternal happiness of God's presence with them now. And so again, that's the word Jesus is using here. Makarios, blessedness in God's presence. Presence, And he's telling us it is experienced not just by knowing these truths, but by applying them into our lives as we begin to follow Jesus day to day in Christ-like servanthood. Do you understand that the happiest people on this planet are those who've learned to live and serve with Jesus? And the selfish people are ultimately the most miserable people? When you come up against a really, really miserable person, scratch a little bit and you'll find tons of selfishness just under that surface. Selfish people are the most miserable people. Selfless, Christ-like servants live in the middle of the blessing promised by God by His presence. Which then brings us to this last thing, a warning for us. We must live as servants who represent Christ rather than selfish lords who will betray Him. Lest we forget, there is one person sitting in that room who hears Jesus' exhortation to serve and is absolutely simply going to refuse it. Verse 18, I'm not speaking of all of you, speaking to His disciples there. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. There sits Judas. Mind already made up, he is going to betray Christ this very night. He wants to reign, not serve. We know that about him from elsewhere. So why is he still here then? Why did Jesus let it get this far? Why is Judas still in this room? Because the Scripture has to be fulfilled when it speaks of the betrayer. You see, Jesus knows who's at the table, doesn't He? He knows whom He's chosen for eternal life, and He knows who will betray Him. But the Scriptures have to be fulfilled, and oh, by the way, they always will be fulfilled. And so Jesus makes it known. He he quotes from Psalm 41 verse 9, which says in its fuller version, "...even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel..." against me. Now why this psalm? Why does Jesus pick this psalm? Well, if you look back to the book of Psalms, and you can do that later, you'll see that it's written by King David. Many of David's psalms are messianic. That is, they don't just refer to David himself, but prophetically they speak of the promised Messiah. The rabbis... In looking at this psalm, say that it refers to that time that David was betrayed by his friend Ahithophel. 2 Samuel 16, you can read later if you need to. If you're not up on your Ahithophels, um, Ahithophel was David's counselor who betrayed him by joining the rebellion of his bitter son Absalom. And it nearly cost David his kingdom. It almost cost him his life. But the point of this psalm is that this was a wicked, devastating blow to David. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the Scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate his bread has lifted up his heel against me. To eat bread with someone in that culture was to welcome them into your life. It was a, it was a sign of offered friendship and mutual trust. And so to turn on someone who welcomed you to their table like this was seen in that culture as a particularly heinous act, a stab in the back of the worst kind. It says that he, he lifted his heel against me, meaning he stomped on our friendship. I'm sitting there reclining at the table, and he jumped up and kicked me in the face. And so Jesus warns them that that, that, that's about to happen. And we'll look at that more detail, Lord willing, next week. But, But here's the question for this morning. Why does Jesus tell them about this now? Well, look at verse 19. I'm telling you this now. I love it when Scripture answers my question so clearly. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Usually when we think about the betrayal of Jesus, we think about what it must have meant for Jesus Himself. And that's not wrong. But Jesus knew it was coming. We really ought to think about what this betrayal would have meant for the disciples. What a devastating blow this was going to be for them. They've known Judas for three and a half years. They've loved him. They've eaten with him. They've traveled with him. They never saw this coming. And so when it did come, this has the potential of shaking their faith to the core. I mean, come on, you ever been betrayed by someone you thought was a friend and a believer and they turn on you and your faith is shaken? So Jesus, knowing this is coming, says, I'm telling you this now before it happens, so when it does happen, dear disciples, you won't lose your faith. Instead, you'll remember, I told you it was going to be this way. And rather than your faith being shattered, it will be strengthened. Rather than being thrown into turmoil wondering, well, is is anything he ever told us true? Do his words have any power to change anybody? If if Judas betrayed, what, what, what about me? No, no, you'll see and you'll understand even more deeply who I am. In fact, look at those words I am at the end of that verse. That little he that the the translators supply is not in the original. This is another one of those ego, I, me. The I am's where Jesus reminds us who He is. Not some helpless victim. Not some shaggy prophet. God Himself killed. He's God in the flesh. The God who met with Moses and Abraham and all the Old Testament saints. The God who saves. And so He tells them It's coming. Now do you see what's happening here? Make sure you see what's happening here. Jesus is loving them to the end by preparing them for what's about to happen. He doesn't want them to be caught off guard. He doesn't want you, dear Christian, to be caught off guard. It's why He's warned you throughout the Scriptures that there will be times of trouble and trial, there will be betrayals and there will be tears, that you will be hated and abused by some of those you try to serve. But rather than being thrown off guard by that, take heart because He told you it was going to happen this way and He assures you He is working through this even in the troubles. Right? John 16.33, I've said these things to you that in Me you may have peace. You're not going to have peace in the world. In the world you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. By dying and rising again, Christ has overcome this world and its sin. And He's doing exactly what He's promised. Listen, listen, if you are with Him, if you are serving Him, He is going to use you even as others betray you. He's going to use the things that you suffer as you follow Him in service because now as you go out, you represent Him. You represent Him. Do you see that? Last verse. Can't leave without the last verse. Verse 20. Truly, truly... Okay, I won't do it again, but you know what's coming, right? Listen up. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I sent receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one that I sent. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. Dear one, as you go out and you face betrayal and you face suffering and you serve in my name and you get your hands and feet dirty and nobody appreciates you and nobody sees it, understand this really isn't about you anyway. It's about me and it's about my Father and it's about our work of salvation. No, no, I'm sending you out, Luke 10.3 says, as lambs among wolves and you're going to get bit. And many will reject you, and, and, and many may even betray you. But don't be devastated by that, because I warned you it's going to be that way. And it's not about you anyway, it's about me, and you are representing me, what they did to me, they're going to do to you, but it's okay, because I'm king. And instead of thinking about those who betrayed you, those who, those who didn't receive you, notice He puts the emphasis on those who do receive you. Put your mind on those who do receive you and who do receive this message and know that I have used you to bring that about. And when they receive you, they're not really receiving you, they're receiving me. And through me, they're receiving the Father. You are my agent. You serve in my name. So keep serving. Keep serving in my name. Keep suffering for my sake. Keep sharing the truth with with your words and your actions. And I will use you in ways you never thought possible. Just keep your eyes on me and follow as I lead and serve as I've shown you. Go wash some feet. Go love some enemies. Go be my disciples in this broken world and trust me to do what only I can do as you do as I command. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so challenged by this because I really don't like suffering. And I, to be honest, in my bad days, I don't like to serve. I'd rather, be a, I'd rather be the master at the head of the table in my flesh than the servant. And yet you've told me and every believer, no matter what our earthly positions may be, even if we really were earthly kings, Even if we really were, in some sense, an earthly master, we are called to follow the one who didn't come to be served, but to serve, to take up the towel and the basin, and with Christ and like Christ, humble ourselves. So, Lord, show us those dirty feet out there that we're supposed to wash. Show us those despised persons that we're supposed to humble ourselves before and give them grace. And not only the despised persons, but our friends, our family, those we love. Let us not overlook them, but God, make us a community of people, of Christ-like servants, trusting you for salvation, looking to you by faith, and then following you in faith to be the very servants you have commanded that we be. In Jesus' name, amen.